0: Also, to see that in the end of the gospel, John basically tells us why he wrote the book. This is John chapter 20. It's got 21 chapters. So at the the last of John chapter 20, the apostle writes this. Therefore, this is John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written. In this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So He tells us right at the end of the book, this is why I wrote all this stuff. A lot of other things that I didn't put down, but what I did put down, John says, is so that you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and through your faith in Him, you can have life in his name. So that's what John is saying himself is the purpose of this book. And I think studying the book with that purpose in mind will get more out of it. He uses the the term sign at least 17 different times. That's how many times you see it appearing in the book. You'll see the word miracle and especially in the King James. King James writers translated the word miracle that really is the word for sign as miracle because they were miracles when Jesus turned the water to wine. That's the first one, the first sign uh, John writes in the second chapter of the gospel. That's called a miracle in the King James and it is a miracle but the word actually means sign. It was a miracle that was a sign. All miracles are signs but not all signs are miracles, if that makes sense. In other words, there were things that Jesus didn't said. Everything he didn't said indicated who he was. But not all those things were miraculous in the sense that we would consider something miraculous. But the purpose of the signs, the miraculous signs we're talking about, was to bring about faith. And that's what John mentions in the last part of the book. All right, let's get into the, uh, the worksheet. By the way... My plan is to get through this gospel in a quarter. We just finished uh, the eternal class on First and 2 Samuel. I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too, but this, this will not carry on that long, Lord willing. Uh, so we're, we're going to be hitting high points through here. Number one on the worksheet, John was one of the blank apostles whom Jesus chose. What would you put in that blank? First, he's one of the first apostles whom Jesus chose, along with his brothers, or the brothers, rather, Peter and Andrew, and John's own brother. Who was John's brother? James. There were two apostles named James, and John's brother was one of those. James and John were the sons of Zebedee. Number two, Jesus gave James and John the name Boanerges, meaning blank of blank, sons of thunder. So I think that's indicative of their influence and impact. These boys had a, a thunderous impact. I don't know why else he would give them a name like that. It wouldn't just be pulling it out of the air. I don't. There must have been a reason for it. And so he calls them sons of thunder. Number three, John was one of the inner blank, as they might be called. So it's not said this in the scripture. Inner, inner circle, you could say, or inner three, because there were three of them. But there was an inner circle, there, were, there was an inner three. And this is evidenced when Jesus calls these same three guys out for different situations that were special. So back to the worksheet. John was one of the inner three or inner circle, as they might be called. Blank, blank, and John. Who were the other two? Peter was one of them. And the other one was James. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. I can hear myself, or I, I can hear the apostles, the other apostles, thinking that. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. always taking Peter, James, and well, what? What about us? But that's the way It worked. For whatever reason. And there's no explanation for it. Jesus never stops and says, now here's why I say uh, I'm taking Peter, James, and John to do this and to do that. He, he never does that. He just does it. Since Jesus chose them from among the other apostles to go with him into some blank situations. And the word I would put there is special. These were special situations. John, however, mentions blank of these situations in his gospel. And the word to put there is none. Isn't that interesting? John was one of those three, but he never mentions any of the four circumstances that are brought up by Matthew and Mark. And they're listed there. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John into the home of Jairus in order to do something for his daughter what did he do for his daughter he resurrected her brought her back from the dead now why wouldn't Jesus and this is speculative but why wouldn't Jesus just go in there by himself you guys wait out here I'll go in here and take care of this guy's daughter be right back so when you see something take place what does that make you You're a witness. You're an eyewitness. And it's not like these were the only things Jesus did that were miraculous or that signified. By the way, what English word do you see in the word signify? But sign. When something signifies, it signifies. And everything Jesus did, by way of the miraculous especially, was a sign. It signified who he was. Nobody else could do those things. That's something that we'll see Nicodemus bring to the forefront in John chapter 3. He's going to come to Jesus and he's going to say, nobody can do the things that you do unless God is with him. So this is a a recognition by Nicodemus that Jesus is doing the miraculous. And it's written down for us so we can see uh, that, that that's the point of the signs being lived out. And Nicodemus is saying that. The second one there is from Matthew 17. This was on the blank where Jesus was blanked. The mountain or mount where Jesus was transfigured. And if you go over there, you won't see mountains the way we might think of mountains here, like a big snow capped, rocky mountain type peak. This is just a, an ascent. But what do we call Mount Scott? What is Mount Scott? It's a kind of a lump in the desert. <laughs> but we call it Mount Scott because it from a distance it, it looks like a mountain and it's it sort of is. That's a cool place, by the way, if you haven't been down there. Go down and hang out on Mount Scott for a while. Uh, the third one. From Mark chapter thirteen, the Mount of Olives opposite the opposite the temple, and this is significant because the apostles had questions about the temple and about Jerusalem and about the end of the age. And Jesus talked to them about that. There, that's where he would tell them, "Not one stone of this temple will be left on another; everything is going to be torn down." And that's exactly what happened. When Titus and his Roman soldiers took Jerusalem in A.D. 70, they dismantled the temple stone by stone. And that's why if you go over there today, (coughs) one of the most important places, if not the most important place to the Jews in Jerusalem is the Wailing Wall, they call it. It's part of the foundational wall that's left and that's it because every other part of it was dismantled. And then the last one, Jesus took these three guys into the blank to pray. Into the garden where he would sweat, as it were, drops of blood. So those three guys went with him to these special places. And there may have been others that weren't mentioned. But these circumstances uh, were ones in which John was part. Now think about that as you read through his gospel that he was part of this inner circle, if you will, this, these three guys that Jesus specifically called to take with him into these situations. Number four, Jesus blanked both James and John for their blank in response to the Samaritan's rejection of him. What would you put in the first one? He rebuked. He rebuked or he reprimanded, however you want to say it, James and John for their blank, and there I would put attitude. I don't know if you recall this, but Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. What was he going to do in Jerusalem? He was going to die, God's going to die forever. So he's, he's going to Jerusalem, and instead of going around Samaria like most Jews would, and why would most Jews go around Samaria? They hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated them. And so he would normally, or Jews would normally go around it, but Jesus, no, we're going through. And so when they went into Samaria, and the Samaritans saw them, they said, what are you doing here? You need to get out of here. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die for these guys, and they're saying, get out of our country. James and John, filled with Bible knowledge, say what? Why don't we call down fire from heaven like who? Remember when Elijah did that? These guys knew about Elijah and that impressed them. It's impressive to me when I think about that. Elijah's sitting there on that mountain and he's got these 50 guys come after him. Hey, king says you to come down and go with us. He said, well, if, if I'm the prophet of God, let fire come down out of heaven and consume you and your 50. They're incinerated right there. 50 more come. And they treat him the same way with that kind of disrespect and disregard. And he said, well, if I'm a prophet of God, let fire come down and consume you guys. So when the third 50 shows up, and I, I don't know if there was evidence of the first 50 and what was left of them. doesn't say anything like that. But the third commander says, please, I don't mean any disrespect, but my orders are, have you come with me and go to the king, would you please do that, basically is what he said. And Elijah said, yes, I'll come down, I'll go with you. So it pays to give respect where respect is due. But here Jesus is coming through Samaria, and the Samaritans are rejecting him. And these two guys are saying, let's call down fire like Elijah did. And Jesus says, that's not what I came for. That's a good lesson for me. Especially when I'm on the road and people are hanging in that left lane like they own it. (laughs) I've got a little electronic thing. Excuse me. If you press a button, it makes a sound like a machine gun. I have so wanted to tape that to my steering wheel. (laughs) But I don't. Because I'd have a hard time explaining that to the EMTs and that me out of the wreck. What happened to you? Well, I was shooting my machine gun at that car. What? Number five, James and John, as well as their blank, sought blank from Jesus. As well as their, James and John, as well as their mother, did I hear mother? That's, That's what I should have heard sought blank sought what you could put position you could put status said I want my boys to sit on your on your right and left hand and what did Jesus say He, he, he said you don't know what you're asking for and by the way that's not mine to give because at this point all authority had not been given him it would be but it hadn't been given yet You remember how the other apostles responded to them? They got upset. They got angry. Why? Who do you guys think you are asking for a special privilege. They were just a bunch of guys like we would be a bunch of guys. They're no different from us. Except that they spent three years with Jesus. And see, that that also gives me hope to know that these guys were with Jesus every day, every night. They lived with him They heard his teaching. They saw the miracles. And they still did things that he had to rebuke. And and had them written out for us by these guys. So that we would know, All right, that really happened. Because if you were making this stuff up. Would you write bad stuff about yourself? Or would you just write the things that made you look good? By the way, if, if you were a prophet. Eight hundred years before your Messiah would come, would you write about a Messiah that would be rejected and scorned and abused? Makes us think about the legitimacy of every prophecy ever made about Jesus. I mean,
1: what they
2: were writing. Absolutely. So whether they wanted to write it or not, they were going
0: to. And if Peter even makes mention of that. In the second letter, first chapter of the second letter, he talks about them writing down things that they didn't even understand because that's, that's what was being dictated to them. Just like John in the revelation. Jesus is dictating the revelation to John. He's just writing down what Jesus is telling him to write down. He doesn't understand it all, but he's writing it down accurately. And so when we read these things that the Holy Spirit inspired, we're understanding <clears throat> that the Holy Spirit is the author not these guys they're they're just the writers man <clears throat> excuse me
1: and the rest of the time they were human like we same emotions
0: same, same problems same thoughts exactly but you know, during that time they were focused on the writing so they're showing us. they want to show us that yeah this is human as us exactly and if if you <laughs> allow the holy spirit to guide you and everything he guides you you're going to be doing right but, but when you get off on your own you, you get back to being your own and you're, and you're trying to do right but you're not that smart you're, you're not God and so you can't do it perfectly which is exactly why Jesus came Jesus didn't come down and say well I'm, I'm going to die for those of you who can't get it right and for the rest of you you'll be great because you can be good who did Jesus say to call good nobody called no man good There's only one good, and at that point he was talking about his father. Technically, he was good too. Jesus was, but that wasn't the point he was trying to make with that man. Where are we here? Uh, Number six, their mother, mother was also present at the blank, as Matthew records in 27, 55, 56, and that mother of the sons of, Uh, Zebedee was there. That's what uh, Matthew records. So she was present where? At the crucifixion. So so think about that. I mean, you read about her asking for special status for her sons. Oh, that little, what's wrong with her? She's, but then Jesus is being crucified as a criminal. He's being persecuted. People are crying out for his blood. Literally, they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. But she's not afraid to be there. She shows up. At the crucifixion. She's associated with Jesus and does not seem afraid or ashamed to have that happen. It's kind of like Thomas. We always often hear, oh, doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas, but Thomas is the one who had previously said when Jesus was going to Jerusalem and they said, Man, they're trying to kill you there. And Thomas says, Well, I'm going with him. If he's going to die, I'm going to die with him. So You can say what you want about Thomas, but he was a courageous, loyal disciple of Jesus. Number seven, Jesus put the care of his blank into John's hands. Mother at the cross. When I was young, I didn't understand what Jesus was saying. When he was on the cross and he looks at Mary and he says, woman, behold your son. I thought he was saying, look at me, mom. This is what's happened to me. No, He was looking at John and said, woman, behold your son. That man right there is your son. And we can know that to be true because then he says to John, what? Behold your mother. This is your mom now. I'm out of this world. I'm, I'm going to my father. I'm going to go to the grave for three days, but then I'm coming out. But I won't be here to be a son to my mother. And apparently by that time, Joseph was gone. Don't know what happened to Joseph. The focus is always on Christ. Number eight, John was almost certainly the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John's the only one who says that. But he, he never says it directly that he was the one. Let's go to these and t- check them out. John chapter 13, first of all. This is also, we'll kind of get, we'll get a, a handle, an idea in our mind who John was. John chapter 13, verses 21 to 30. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Oh, thank you, John. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Well, I thought he loved all his disciples. He did, of course, but there was one specifically that he loved and that's what's being pointed out here. And remember, like, like it's been pointed out, he was writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John wasn't just coming up with this on his own. So Simon Peter gestured to him, to this one whom Jesus loved and said to him, tell us who it is of whom he's speaking. And he leaning back on this uh, back thus on Jesus' bosom said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered that it is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So that's the first one. The next one is 19, 25 to 27. Yes. why they didn't respond better to that who knows but this was a plan that had always been in place as a matter of fact David and David lived about a thousand years before this happened he wrote about Judas not by name but he wrote about one who would lift up his heel against the Christ
2: what Perhaps they had learned enough
0: about love from being with Jesus that they weren't ready to kill this man who was going through. Okay. Or even put him down. Maybe they learned something. <coughs> not, not all of them. It's possible. Or, or they, they may mean, not have grasped... You know, if somebody's going to betray you, what does that mean? Well, they're not going to be faithful to you. But, But if they had known... Well, this betrayal is going to result in him being crucified. He's going to be arrested and crucified. I don't think they had a clue about that, and it may have been withheld from them because the plan has to go through. It is God's plan from the foundation of the world that Jesus give his life to save us from our sin, that he be the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. Later on in the garden, how would the apostles respond at first? At first, they would
1: resist. One cuts off the an ear, and Jesus puts a stop to it. And right. Lets, and, and lets things proceed like what God's plan is. Exactly. exactly. And the who was that drew his sword and cut off that guy's ear? That was Peter.
0: <clears throat> so here it's it's like, man, we're talking about a courageous guy who draws his sword to fight the way he knows to fight and cuts off his ear. But what does Peter do just a little while later when he's outside the trial area, and he's being accused of being one of Jesus' disciples. He denies him three times with cursing. You see that the circumstance you find yourself in is going to influence the way you behave. Because we are we're weak. We don't want to be weak. I want to be, I'm going to be strong all the time. And you see it in the, you watch the stories in the movies. Oh, yeah, this guy, he's going to be strong all the time. And we see ourselves among the heroes. <clears throat> we never see ourselves among the cowards. Because, yeah, if I was in that story, I'd be courageous. I'd be brave. I'd be up there with my sword, too. Well, maybe. Bob? Also,
2: teaching them to serve at that time. And so it's very likely that Judas was not the only person that he broke the bread and dipped in the vinegar to hand out. It's possible. A lot of possibilities. and crucified in uh, Matthew 26, or 25, 26. Matthew 26 says, In the pass when Jesus had finished all of the sayings and said unto his disciples, You know that after two days of the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to be crucified. So when they say, Who's going to betray you? and they're, Who is this going to betray you? Christ already knows I'm going to be betrayed and crucified. They may not have caught the fact that he said, I'm going to be crucified
0: again. Right? Did they ever put that together? Did they ever come to grips with that and say, you know, he told us, we better be ready for this. It's like it went over their head. How many of the apostles were at the site of the grave, the burial, on the third day? Not a one of them. Not, not a single, single one, one of them. None, none of them, them said, hey, you know what? He said, hey, a raise. We better be there. I want to see that. Ooh, that's going to be something. Not <coughs> one of
1: them. Even when the firm there to prepare the body. That's, that's why not. they
0: were there. They came to prepare the body. Even, even the women who seemed to have great faith, well, did have great faith. They came to prepare the body for, for burial. Because he'd been buried hurriedly. He'd been buried right before the Sabbath came on and they had to get him in the tomb.
1: Experiences that later we understand more about. These things are being, they're happening. And then they're later being revealed. And whenever, the like whenever Jesus told them, who among you is without, without sin, cast the first stone. He completely diffused that situation. It stopped us in our tracks. It stopped them in our the tracks. And they contemplate themselves and where they're at. And, and this does the same thing. It has to happen. But then once the story is, is revealed, then we take it in and we, we see all the things that Jesus teaches us to love. And it, there could have been someone else, and we stop and we reflect. And it has that impact on us. And it's a changing impact. It has to happen. We just have to understand it the best we can, and then apply it applies to our lives. And all the things, the, there's so many things that we can't. All of our lives, we read it, and we've learned something else. Oh, I didn't notice that. you know. And that's, that's that revelation, and then that understanding after the revelation of being recorded, just like the disciples writing it. Maybe he didn't really realize it until after it was you know, it's just, we don't know at what point in time it became relevant.
0: You know. uh, based on what your, your statements are, what, what is science? How would you define science? The, the Latin word simply means knowledge. Science is what we know. And we hear a lot about science these days, as if science is a fixed body. How often are we learning new stuff? All the time. Every day, all the time. Uh, I don't know if, if, if you uh, follow much of the, the theory of, of evolution teaching, but I don't know how many times I've seen an article about evolution or some new discovery, and it says, this changes everything, this changes everything, this change. how many You just look for that, and you'll start seeing that. What that tells us is we don't know anything. Because every new thing we discover changes everything. Now that's in the physical realm. That's in the spoken universe. God spoke it into existence and we're still discovering things. Now, ultraviolet light, when was that discovered? It's recorded as being discovered like 1801, 1802. Infrared right after that or I can't remember which one was before the other but that's, <clears throat> that's really late in time. That's just a couple hundred years ago. We've been around for 6,000 years and we just now, so what else is there out there that we haven't even discovered in the physical realm? When we're looking into the gospel, we're having the spiritual realm revealed to us. The, The life of Christ, the teachings of Christ, the principles of Christ, all of these things, it's like we are toddlers who've just learned to stand up and we're not very good at that and we're trying to figure these things out. And that's who the apostles were. But they were guided to write these things down. And as we read about what they wrote and and how they say that they behaved with Christ in their midst, we see, okay, they didn't get it very right either. But they gave us a record of who Jesus was. And now we can know. We can read this record as John says in the end of his gospel. I've written these things down so you can know he was a Christ. And in believing that, he didn't say I've written these things down so that you could know he was a Christ and, and you can become perfect and that'll be your salvation. Nothing like that. Our salvation is not our faith in Christ. Do you believe enough in Jesus to put your, put your whole faith in him? Do the demons believe? I know, that's another class. That's James' letter. We're not supposed to get into that, right? But... <laughs> James said the demons believe and they tremble, but they don't believe in the sense that they would put their faith in Jesus for their soul's salvation. And that's where you and I are. That's why John wrote these things, so we would read them and go, okay, I'm trusting him. There isn't anybody else to trust. Preston?
1: I love this class. But there's a, I was reading the passage, trying to read ahead and keep up and fill in the blank. I don't know if you're allowed to do that. Go uh, ahead. Well, on, in James 1 and 16, there's a passage that I have to pause and go and try to understand it. And out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. Basically, grace upon grace. And I'm like, John is, you know, came before him, and he, he, he revealed Christ, He and John's trying to explain Jesus to him, and I'm like, what does that mean, you know? And it's almost like a, a set of glasses that he's given us to try to understand grace upon grace, the fullness of Christ. Uh, and... and if we try to understand it in this, through this passage, maybe, it gives us a deeper understanding. You know, I, I, I got to that verse, and I couldn't move on. I'm like, what does that mean You, know, you can't, can't, can't already move, move on, on, can you? Because you come back to it later, oh, I didn't, see
0: that, that, I didn't see that there last time. That's the way the Bible is. I, I think that's part of the reason why the Bible is described as the living and active Word of God. That's what the Hebrew writer called it. The Word of God is living and active, and you you will not learn all of it. If you get a geometry book, you can learn everything there is to learn about geometry. But applying that geometry to the universe is another question altogether. Math, you can figure out all the equations for the most part. But seeing those equations in the universe... Uh, There's a video, if if you want to watch something really fascinating on YouTube, uh, write down fractals, F-R-A-C-T-A-L-S. Dr. Jason Lyle, uh, he is a mathematician who has looked at fractals and plotted them on a graph. And you'll find out what fractals are in the video. But plotting those fractals, he finds that there are patterns in mathematics that are infinite. And they they don't create simply mathematical patterns. They create geometric shapes, and they're, they're, they're beautiful. And it's throughout the creation. Any, have you heard of uh, Fibonacci's whirling squares? Uh, that, that's another mathematical thing. You can research that and find out that the entire universe has these... These slow arcing lines throughout it. It's it's in a galaxy. You look at a galaxy in a a circular, not a circular galaxy, but a spinning galaxy. And the arms are these, uh, these whirling squares that were discovered by Fibonacci, the mathematician. I think that was his name. But you also see those same lines in a ram's horn or in the curve of a wave. Everywhere you look in creation, you see those things. So when David said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork, you know, this is true. Now, what John is doing, he's he's not showing us all of those things. He's focusing. I'm focusing on the Son of God who came, and I want to show you the signs that he did that proves who he was, that proves to you, like John said in the beginning, how did John start his gospel? He never starts it. He never starts it. He did not start it like any of the other gospel writers started their gospel Matthew and Luke begin with genealogy to show who Jesus was in that way. Mark starts with the baptism of Jesus to show the the power of his ministry beginning right there in the first chapter. But John starts with in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And everything that's been created came through him. That's how John starts his gospel. So he starts out with this this grand statement about Jesus being the one who brings everything into his... And then he focuses, he brings the focus down like in a microscope to the signs that he did among us. So that we could see he really is the one who spoke the universe into existence. Nobody else could do the things that he does like Nicodemus said unless God is with him. And so that's what we're looking at. Where are we on the worksheet? I've completely gotten off of that. We're talking about... The disciple whom Jesus loved. How'd we do that, Don? What's
2: well, that? One comment before we go on. Oh yeah. Right, right. Sure.
0: About Judas. Glad Let's to see, see you back from Paul. Hawaii. By the way, I, I, think I think hate you, have you had to endure that, me. but at least you made it. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I always thought I thought Judas. You know, it was one or two things. Either he completely didn't believe that Jesus was a Christ anymore, but I think more, more, more probably more correctly is that that yeah, he. That since they always thought the kingdom was going to be this physical kingdom on earth, and they were going to have power and overthrow Rome and that kind of thing, he wanted to be a part of that. He thought, and he always saw Jesus getting away from people. Well, he's the Messiah, he's going to get away. Now I can play it both ways. I can feel my greed by getting ahead by in this new kingdom, I'll be, I'll have more money. And so he thought, I can, you know, because I mean he dipped the thing and handed it to him and said, You're the one. He's like, you know, what was he thinking? You know, he was the foundation of everything. Well, that just slipped by and think, Man, I'm getting ready to betray him. He had to think, well, he'll get away and and I'll get the money and then I'll be in the kingdom and I'll be part of the power thing, and you know, and then all of a sudden after it was all said and done, it's like, oh, no, what have I done, you know? And, and I think that's important for us, too, that if we have an incorrect thinking of any kind of truth, any truth, that what we're building on it can kind of crumble down if
0: we don't watch out. Exactly. And John's focus, just like the rest of the the Gospel writers, they are the same in in this regard. They all focus on Jesus. He's the one. Judas had his thoughts, whatever those thoughts were. He had his own thoughts, and he lived according to his own thoughts. Did he repent? He could have. He, he, he didn't repent. How did he show his repentance his remorse? So whose advice did he follow in his remorse? But his own. I feel so bad I think I'm going to kill myself. But Peter says, now what would Jesus do? Jesus wouldn't tell him to kill myself. He would say, well what did Jesus tell Peter? Peter denied him three times. What did Jesus tell Peter? He said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You go feed my sheep. I don't think I'm out of line to say this. If Judas had repented in a godly fashion, Jesus would have told him the same thing. But that was not the way it was going to work.
2: And the prophecy about him would have been different. Yes. If
0: but which, which came first? See, we're talking about the God who gives a prophecy a thousand years before it happens. But which actually came first? Is, is Judas predestined to do that? Or did God just look down through time and see this is Judas, this, this is who he is, this is what he's going to do, so I'm going to write about it now. So when, when it comes to pass, are everybody's going to go, wow, God wrote about that a thousand years ago, when God's not limited by time. And don't ask me how all that works. <laughs> I just know God is not limited by time. How could a thousand years be a day and a day be a thousand years? I mean, look at me. I do not look like I did 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you were even there. <laughs> look <laughs> at you. <laughs> we we change with time. But if you could see the inside of me, you would also say, "Oh, Martin, you don't look on the inside like you did forty years ago. You look a lot better." Yeah, that's because the inward man is being renewed by right day. The outer man is passing away. Okay, no big deal. But the inward man. That's what the gospel writers always address. That's what John was addressing. When John addresses faith, I'm writing these signs down so you can believe. You can have faith. Your inner man can have faith, and your inner man can live forever because your body is going to die. God's going to resurrect it at some point, and it's going to be glorified, just like Jesus' body. He was resurrected with the same body he went to the grave in, but it was glorified. How does that work? I don't know. That's God's business. But he could walk through locked doors. Would that be true? I don't know. There's some things behind locked doors I don't think I don't want to see. But, but the bottom line is we've got something waiting for us that's beyond our wildest imagination. And that's why John is writing these things. So we can put our faith in Christ and inherit that and, and not worry about trying to earn it. But just put our faith in Jesus we be faithful to Him and to His teachings as best we can. And there you go. There you've got it. That's salvation. It's not about anything else. And I think one of the reasons the Holy Spirit inspired these guys to write so honestly about their own mistakes is so we would understand. All right. I'm like Peter. And I'm like John. I'm tempted to ask for status. Uh, rather than just... Serve like Jesus served. I want to know, like Peter, what are you going to do with this guy, Lord? Well, that's none of your business, Jesus would tell Peter, (laughs) if if we put it in the English vernacular. you go do what I told you to do. It's pretty good stuff. We're over here. We haven't finished the worksheet. Uh, Let's do that in the last 30 seconds. Number nine, John was with blank when he healed the blank man at the temple. This is from Acts chapter 3. Peter healed the lame man. In whose name? In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. I said to you, you get up and walk. John was with him there. He saw that. He was with Peter. And he was also blanked with Peter. He was jailed with Peter. John accompanied blank when they were sent to preach in Samaria. Chapter 8. Again, that's Peter. The first 12 chapters of Acts are primarily about Peter. The rest of those chapters are about Paul. Verse 11, or number eleven: John's brother James was blanked by blank in Acts chapter twelve. He was killed by Herod. And the last one, John, along with James and Peter, gave blank and blank the right hand of fellowship. Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship and their blessing to go to the Oklahomans. That's that's how I read that anyway. So, all right. Next week, Lord willing, we'll get into the text, and I will. We'll hopefully have a worksheet to to lead us through the text so so we make it through in our quarter. Appreciate you. Yes?
1: Uh, A lot of commentators say that John was the youngest of the apostles. Do you agree with that? I I kind of have
0: an opinion, but it doesn't mean anything. And to me, if... (laughs)
1: Youngest. He was also looking at all those other apostles. I mean, Jesus, yes, but if they were older, I don't know. I just thought
0: it's a possible perspective he would have had. uh But it's it's one of those things. I wonder why God didn't say anything about that. Why didn't He give us an idea about which apostle was the oldest? For the tallest. Right. Or what he says about James and John is they were the sons of thunder, which just it leads us to believe something about their character, but it doesn't really stop it out because that wasn't the focus. But it does give us a little bit of a clue. But their age,
1: it's like, how many of you are watching any of the Chosen series?
0: Nobody wants to admit that? Okay, it's not, oh, you're going to sin if you watch that. But every one of those characters has some actor portraying them. And you watch this series, oh, was he really like that? You've got to wonder. And it, you have to know, well, none of it could be exact. But still, you, you get that impression. You've got to wonder. And you right now, no matter, you pick a Bible character, you probably have an image in mind what they look like. Abigail, what's he look like? Elisha, what did he look like? Abraham, what did he look like? Well, now I know because I saw him in a tent when we were over there in Israel. He, he fed us chicken and dates. So anyway, got to ride his camel. <clears throat> he didn't look at all like I expected. He was a young guy, had an English accent. But anyway, he was... <laughs> true story. <laughs> anyway, that's our class. Thank you for being here. And remember, next week, if you want to try the other one, you won't hurt my feelings.